Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our pastor, Josie Kerrigan. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that God has called you to do. I am so excited to share with you guys today. If you've been with us in recent weeks, we are in a series about transforming our minds. And um, if you've gone to a U group that is going through that series, you've been studying it throughout the week as well. And we are in week four today, which is talking about miracles. So we're gonna talk about the miraculous today, which we definitely need to transform our minds in order to think that the miraculous is normal. But as Christians, that's what God has called us to do. And um, it's easier said than done. So I'm preaching to myself this morning because I want every time that I enter a situation to always be thinking with the mindset of heaven, which means that all things are possible and that the miraculous is normal. So we're going to talk about that today. And um, we're going to talk about several stories from the gospel of Mark that talks about Jesus and the disciples. And Jesus was teaching them this principle of the miraculous. And the stories center around two of my favorite things. They're all about food or boats. And I love both food and boats. They're two of my favorite things on the planet. And so I'm excited about these stories. Um, and I wanted to tell you all a little story about one of our boats. If you guys have been here for any amount of time and you know Brad and myself and our family, we've always loved being on the water. And so we have purchased a couple of boats throughout our married life. And the last one that we had for years, our very favorite, um, like completely died during that snap freeze. That was two years ago now or whatever. So it was very heartbreaking. We haven't had a boat since, so we are believing for a miracle boat. But before that boat, we had a different boat. We had a sailboat. Now, I want to tell you the story of how we got our sailboat. So we love boats, and we didn't have one. The kids were middle school, had just started high school, our oldest one, and we were coming up on spring break. And we had a little bit of money saved up, and we were sitting there, and Brad was like, oh, I just wish we had a boat, and we could use it during spring break. And we were looking, and we realized, you know, we couldn't afford any of the boats. But then we're like, oh, my goodness, sailboats are cheaper. We can afford a sailboat. And I have never even been on a sailboat in my whole life at this point in time. Now, Brad, his um, dad had a sailboat growing up. He had been with people that were sailing, so he had a little bit of a concept. But we sat there, and we were like, you know what? Let's buy this boat. And it was like Friday, the last day of school before spring break. And that day, we went, and we bought this Facebook market or whatever it was, um, sailboat. Did we know much about sailing? No, not so much. So what did we do? Brad stayed up all night watching YouTube about how to sail a boat because now we had a sailboat. And so we drove up to the marina with the kids in tow and we're like, we have a boat. What a fun surprise. We're going to go sailing all of spring break. And they're like, wow, this is awesome. And you know how kids do? They just trust that their parents know what they're doing. We had no idea what we were doing. Brad felt like he had somewhat of an idea because he had watched YouTube, which I did not trust. So I was terrified more so than the children. So here we were with the sailboat. And we got on the sailboat, we managed to get out of the marina, we managed to raise the sails, and things were going well. We're like going across the water, I'm like, oh my gosh, we're doing this. We have a boat, we're sailing. And then we came to a sudden stop. And Brad's looking around, he's confused, he's like, I don't understand what's going on. And I was told there were no rocks in this lake, you know, whatever. And so um, there was nothing on the map showing that there should be something there. What turns out there was a sandbar 
that our keel hit and we came to a sudden stop and we hit a sandbar, our very first maiden voyage with our sailboat. And so there we were and we were stuck. We had to um, lower the sails. Brad actually jumped in the water and like had to pull our boat off of the sandbar so that we could keep sailing. Why do I tell you this story? Because miracles and learning about miracles is kind of like that. Like the disciples, we're going to find, find themselves often in a boat, and Jesus is trying to teach them about the miraculous. And when you start moving out in this and you start transforming your mind to think that miracles are normal and that God does do miracles through us here on earth, um, it's not perfect. It's like learning to sail. It's going to take a minute. So if you're not there yet, that's okay. That's why we're teaching this series. That's why we're in this, so that we can learn and start putting into practice what the Word of God says so that we can get better at it, okay? So are you with me? We got a couple of stories about boats. And the first one we're going to find in Mark chapter 4. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. It's also going to be on the screen behind me. And because we have several stories, some of them, I'm just going to tell the story, but the scriptures will be on the screen behind me so that you can see that, you know, it's actually the Bible. I'm not making it up, if you, in case you'd never read the stories before. But this particular time, it's in Mark 4, and the disciples were all in a boat with Jesus. He is right there with them. And in verse 38, it says that Jesus was sleeping. It says he had a little cushion for his head, so he was comfortable. He was at peace. But there was a huge storm going on at the time. And so the disciples were terrified, and they came to Jesus, and they said, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And Jesus, he woke up and he rebuked the winds and the waves. If you know the story, the storm calmed down and everything was good again. And then he turned to them and he said, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And I just want you to think about that for a minute. So who was Jesus? He was God come to the earth, right? And the disciples find themselves in a storm, in a problem, in an issue. And where do they go? They go to Jesus. They go to God and they talk to him about their problem. They're like, hey, don't you care that we're drowning? What do we call talking to God? We call that prayer. They prayed. Like when we pray, when we have a problem, we pray. We're like, God, there's a storm. Help. Don't you care that I'm drowning? And Jesus woke up. He saw the situation. He calmed it down. And then he said, why did you do that? Don't you have any faith? Like, I grew up thinking that it was my job to pray and to come to God when I had problems so he could act on my behalf and I would see an answer to my prayer. Because Jesus did answer their prayer. He calmed the storm, but then he was like upset with them for not having any faith. It doesn't really make sense. Except for this, that Jesus had been teaching the disciples to perform miracles. He had told them you know, you go and you do. I'm going to show you how to do this. I'm going to teach you. But they didn't really grasp the concept that they had been given authority and power as well. So as soon as there was a problem, they had to run to Jesus to fix it for them. I think about that song we sang, Champion, I Have the Authority. You know, we sing that, but do we live like that? Or do we just live like we run to Jesus whenever there's a problem, when he's like, hey, there's power in your words. There's authority when you speak in the name of Jesus to whatever storm it is that you're facing. So Jesus was like, okay, I'm going to keep teaching them about miracles. And then we find a story about food. I'm not going to look up the verses for you, but it's the story that probably most of you have heard where there was a huge crowd of people and the disciples were like, hey, they're hungry. We need to feed them. But there's like thousands and thousands of people. And Jesus is like, you feed them 
And they were like, are you kidding? What, what are we supposed to feed them with? Like, we don't have this kind of money to go buy all of them food. And then Jesus, if you know it, you know, five loaves, two fish, and it was enough to feed the whole crowd. So that has just happened. Jesus gave it to the disciples. They gave it to the people. And then where did they go? Right after that, they get back in a boat again. I feel like the boat is like where Jesus teaches things. That's probably why I love boats so much. So the disciples get in a boat again. But this time, Jesus is not with them. And I want you to look at that story. It's in Mark chapter 6. And there's a problem because he sees um, the disciples get in the boat. Jesus said, I want you to get in the boat and go to the other side of the lake. I'm going to go up on a mountain and I'm going to pray. And you guys go. So the disciples get in the boat. They start rowing across. And there's a storm again. So do you think they learned their lesson? Apparently not, which gives me a lot of comfort because I don't always learn my lesson the first time around. So this time they're in the boat, but there's no Jesus to go and call. There's no Jesus sleeping in the boat that they could go to and say, help us calm the storm. But instead, the Bible tells us that Jesus saw them from the mountain where he was praying. And the Bible tells us that it was late at night, but Jesus saw them, which I just want to do a side note. If Jesus saw them and he was up on a mountain and it was late at night and they're in the middle of the sea, do you think he saw them with his natural eyes? Or do you think that was like a word of knowledge or a prophetic vision that God gave him? I think it's important to note that like Jesus had to use the gifts of the Spirit as well. That's how he operated. It wasn't all in his natural. So he saw them straining at the oars. He was concerned for them and he came walking on the water. We've all heard that story. Jesus comes walking on the water. And the Bible tells us that he meant to pass by them, but instead he saw that they were so afraid. So he stopped and he said, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. And he climbed in the boat with them and the wind stopped. And as soon as the wind stopped, they were totally amazed. And here's what the Bible says, and here's where I want to camp out. They were totally amazed for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. So if you read this, you're like, what does the storm have to do with the miracle of the loaves? Why is Jesus upset with them for not understanding the loaves? Like we had a food miracle, now they're in a boat, the two are not even similar. Why were they supposed to know what to do in the middle of a storm just because they saw Jesus multiply, bre multiply bread? And I want you to go with me to Mark 6, where we find the story about the bread. And we're going to look at it and see what it is that Jesus wanted them to know that would help them get through the storm. Because I believe it's going to help you and it's going to help me in the middle of our storms as well. Like, I don't know what you're facing right now, but I think all of us, at one time or another, we've been in the middle of a storm. Sometimes we can sense the presence of Jesus in the storm with us. And sometimes we're like, where are you? I'm here all alone in the middle of the night. I'm trying to survive here. Won't you come to me? Which he always does. You know, we saw him coming to them. And then he said, you didn't understand about the miracle of the loaves. So let's look at the miracle of the loaves. So again, there were all these people that didn't have food to eat. And in verse 37, Jesus said to his disciples, you give them something to eat. You feed them. The disciples were like, that's going to take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? So Jesus asked, how many loaves do you have? 
There were a couple of bread and a couple of fish. Then Jesus directed them. Here, go to, go to the next verse. He said, you give them something to eat, right? And then Jesus directed them, the disciples, to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and he gave it to who? To the people? No. He gave it to the disciples to hand out. He gave it to the disciples to hand out. So Jesus said, there's no food, you feed them. The disciples were like, I don't get it. What are we supposed to feed them with? Then Jesus said, now, you tell them to sit down. So the disciples told them to sit down. They were obedient. And then Jesus took the little bit they had, and he prayed for it, and then he gave it to the disciples to go feed the people. But what the disciples didn't realize was that the miracle happened through their hands. It was when they were handing out the bread that it was multiplied. The Bible says everybody ate enough, as much as they wanted, and then there were 12 baskets full left over. They started with five bread, and now they had 12 baskets full. Jesus didn't walk around and hand it out. Jesus didn't tell people to sit down in groups of however many. Jesus gave it to the disciples, told them to do it. Now, first he just said, you know, you feed them, but they didn't get it. So he's like, I'm going to help them out. I'm going to show them how to do it. Let's take what we have. We're going to pray, and then we're going to hand it out. And there's going to be a miracle here today. And the disciples did it. So when the Bible says they didn't understand about the loaves, the meaning there is the disciples didn't realize that there was authority given to them to calm the storm. Just like in that first story when Jesus was like, why didn't you have any faith? And we're like, we prayed. I prayed in the middle of my storm. And it doesn't upset Jesus. He's not shaming anybody. He's just pointing out like where our mindset has gotten tripped up so that he wants to help us see a bigger picture, to have a kingdom mindset where we can be transformed to recognize the authority that he has given to us. The first time I read that story, I always was like, Jesus is so random. Like, why are we talking about loaves in the middle of the boat? But if you get why, it's so important, and it applies to each and every one of our lives. We don't have to freak out if we don't sense the presence of God. He is in us. He has given us the power of the Holy Spirit, and we can walk in that in every situation that we face. So the disciples had experienced a miracle of the loaves. And when we see something supernatural happen, salvation is supernatural. Experiencing the presence of God in worship is supernatural. It doesn't have to be some grand miracle. But when we sense the presence of God, it's meant to challenge us to renew our mind and challenge the way we think so that we can experience the mindset of the kingdom. And the next time we face a problem, we don't think about it the same way but we recognize what happened before and that God will do it again. So you know how you can eat food and if you have a certain illness, the nutrients don't get into your body. It doesn't absorb the nutrients of the food, but you're meant to absorb the nutrients and seeing a miracle or being in a supernatural atmosphere of God's presence is meant to be absorbed into our spiritual life, absorbed into our mind so that it changes us. But sometimes we can see a miracle, we can see God move, and nothing changes. It's like we're just, we're not absorbing it. We're just looking from the outside, and God's like, I'm after transforming you, not just doing this miracle, but I want you to recognize that this is all on the inside of you. So that the next time you're in that situation, you know that God wants to move through you. If we go on through scripture, 
They were again in Mark. This is all these stories are in Mark. I'd love for you to just read the Gospel of Mark and see how patiently Jesus taught his disciples. Just like he teaches you and I. He's not frustrated with them. He's just like, okay, let me show you again. So guess what he did? They had another huge crowd and Jesus multiplied food again. It's like, okay, I'm going to show it to them one more time. We're going to multiply food one more time. So a miracle happened, food multiplied, and then we find ourselves in boat number three. So he does the food miracle, then he's back in the boat again. Are you with me? So now we've had two food miracles. This is our third boat trip, and Jesus is going to teach them again. And it says in Mark 8, verse 13, so he got back in the boat, like they left the crowds, to cross over to the other side. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. Now, if you know me, this is very exciting to me because I forget things all the time. And I'm like, the disciples were forgetful. They were just like you and me. They were not like superhuman people that God had called that remembered everything perfectly. So they got on the boat with the master of the universe and they forgot to bring food. Like it's a little bit embarrassing. How many of y'all have done something that's just a little bit embarrassing? It's, you know, of your own doing. And so the disciples forgot food. They only had one loaf of bread with them in the boat. So they were crossing over the lake and Jesus talked to them and he said, hey, watch out and beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. So the Bible says they started arguing amongst each other and saying, oh, he's saying that because we didn't bring any bread. Like he knows that we don't have bread and now he's talking about yeast and leaven and oh, how embarrassing, we don't have bread. Jesus knew what they were saying. So he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, he had just multiplied food twice. Do you think he was worried that they didn't have any bread in the boat? It was not a concern for him. He was like, okay, um, I'm not talking about lunch, but let's say that I was. Why are you worried about that when we just multiplied food twice? And he says, you have eyes. Don't you understand? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have ears. Can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? I fed the 5,000 with five loaves. And how much was left over? They said 12 baskets. And then I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves. And how much was left over? They said seven baskets. Jesus is trying to show them that the mindset of the kingdom has nothing to do with logic and reasoning. And there was no reason for them to start any thought beginning with lack. As soon as Jesus said, leaven of the Pharisees and Herod, they were like, oh my goodness, we don't have any bread. He's like, why are you even thinking like that? Like I started with less and ended up with more while feeding more people. It's upside down logic. It's a miracle. And that's how we're supposed to operate. It has nothing to do with beginning our thought patterns with here's our need. Logically, how can we meet it? Jesus was like, look, we had 5,000 people with 12 baskets left over. Then I started with seven loaves and 4,000 people, and we didn't have as much left over. It's not logic. It's not reasoning. It's the kingdom of God, like Brad's been talking about for three weeks, but we are in between the kingdom of God and the kingdom on earth, and we say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how we release the miraculous here on earth. So what was Jesus talking about when he was talking about the leaven of Herod and the leaven of the Pharisees? And this is the last thing that I want to talk to you guys about this morning because leaven represents 
influence. It goes through the whole, if you've ever baked bread, which I'm not very good at, but I do love bread, so I try. So leaven, which is yeast, it goes through the whole dough as you work it in. It influences everything that it comes in contact with. You can't contain it to a tiny little part of the dough. And yeast in our culture is mindset. A mindset influences everything that you hear and see. It's like putting on a pair of glasses and seeing everything through that lens. So our mind has to be renewed. So there are two mindsets that the Bible talks about that are contrary to a transformed mind with kingdom thinking. And it's the mindset of Herod and the mindset of the Pharisee. There's another verse in scripture that says that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. And that's the transformed mind. So there are three leavens in the Word of God. And if we're going to walk in the miracles and walk in the supernatural that God has ordained for us, we have to be careful about those two mindsets. So I'm going to go over them just real briefly. The first one was Herod. The mindset of Herod, that's a humanistic political mindset. It's an atheistic influence, basically based on man-made wisdom. I can do this on my own, it's cynical, God helps those who help themselves. If the mindset of Herod was in that boat that day, it would have said, hey, you guys only brought one loaf of bread, next time you need to make a list, you need to be more organized, you need to get yourself out of this mess, you got yourself in it, you better shape up and do better in the future. It's self-reliant. And God is saying if you're gonna operate with a kingdom mindset, you can't rely on your own strength. But, you know, in America, that's kind of what we like to do because it's like if you work hard, then you can succeed. If we do all these things, then we'll get something. We rely on our own strength. Even in churches, it's like we have all these giftings and if we have determination and discipline and we're very organized, then we can accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. Some of the things that people accomplish, whether in their personal lives or in the church, was maybe they were never born in the heart of God. It's just because we're good at something and we do it in our own strength and it's great. But it doesn't mean that God's heart was in it. So be careful of the mindset of Herod. And then the second one, which I feel like is even worse in some ways, is the mindset of the Pharisees. And that's a religious mindset. If we're gonna have a kingdom mindset, this can so often camouflage as a kingdom mindset. And we think we're being so spiritual. It puts God at the center of everything, but he's impersonal and powerless. So we talk about God and it embraces God in theory, but not in experience. It's like a form of power, like God in his sovereignty. Like this is if you were in the boat with a Pharisee mindset. God in his sovereignty has placed you in this boat, in this storm with no bread so that you can learn to be more compassionate towards others who don't have any bread. It's like basically offering no solution, just explaining away why your circumstance is the way it is, but it's not opening the door for God to move through you or on your behalf and see a miracle take place. It's just God, you know, somehow must have sent this to you to punish you or to teach you something, and we're just going to explain how that happened because he's sovereign, but he doesn't care about you personally, and he can't really do anything these days. The last bread store, it stopped with the last apostle. He doesn't sell bread anymore. You know, I'm sorry you only have one loaf, but if we just pray, and this is a religious mindset, they demand that you pray, but they're not ever saying that God will hear you when you pray and do something in answer to your prayer. So I feel like we have many Christians, and we need to examine our hearts, that basically operate with the Herod mindset, which is like you're a practicing atheist even though you call yourself a Christian. 
Because whenever you encounter a problem, whenever you're in a storm, whenever you don't have bread, you're like, I got to fix this. What can I do to make this better? Or you berate yourself because you got yourself into this mess. We also have those that operate from a Pharisee standpoint, and it's woe is me. But Lord, I will suffer through this, and I will bear the burden that you've given me. But you don't ever turn to him and expect to him to intervene in your circumstance. What kind of God is that to serve? So those two mindsets are both based on the fear of man. Like if you think about it, both Herod, he acted in response to being afraid of what the crowd was going to say about Jesus, right? And then you look at the Pharisees and they kept being afraid of, well, we can't accuse Jesus because the crowd likes him. And so we want to be careful about accusing him of being, you know, a heretic. But as Christians, if we have a kingdom mindset, the fear of man is not a part of the equation. The fear of God is. And we have to learn that it's okay to operate in opposition to what our society thinks, in opposition, like completely different direction. Otherwise, we're not going to see God move. It's not, how many of you guys know, it's not normal to walk around and talk about miracles. Like in our culture, that's just not done. If you see somebody at the grocery store that has, you know, a broken leg or something, if you walk up to them and say, can I pray for your leg to be healed? It's not the norm. It's not the normal thing to do. So even talking about this message today, I'm like, man, Jesus, I want more of this in my life. Because so often I just think like, we need to call the doctor. Our first thought needs to be, let's see God do a miracle. Storms are opportunities for us to learn how to operate in the kingdom of God. And that's that verse in Matthew 13, 33. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. It transforms our mind to see everything through the perspective of the kingdom of God. So where are we at today? I don't know where you're at in your journey, but for me, I want to experience more. I want to understand more, which means we have to get rid of the mindset of being religious or the atheistic, humanistic mindset. So if there's one of those that's a part of your mindset, that's why we're transforming our minds through this series to start thinking like the Bible says to think and start thinking like God invites us to think. The last verse in that story there that I want to highlight is Jesus said, don't you understand yet? Don't you understand yet? He said to his disciples. I feel, I feel that way about me sometimes. I'm like, don't, why don't I understand this yet? And, and I've seen God move my whole life. Why don't I really understand this? Why is there not more happening? And can I tell you something? Just like we couldn't learn how to sail on YouTube, we had to get out in the water to actually experience it before we got any better. The word understand in Scripture is more of an Eastern, like Hebraic way of looking at it. It means to experience and see with your five senses, you actually, you can't understand it with your intellect. In our Western culture, we just think to understand something is to reason and to come to a conclusion. But in an Eastern mindset, to understand something means you actually have to step into it and then see how it works. You gotta try it out. And through your experience, understanding will come and you get better at it. So can I encourage you, if you're not seeing many miracles, you have to take that bold step of being like, okay, let's try this out. And if like when we were sailing, if you hit the sandbar and it doesn't look like it's going very well, that's okay. We went sailing the next time and it went much better. You know, we just got to keep trying because through experience, 
we will understand. And when we gain understanding along with experience, our faith will grow and God will teach us how to do this. So I want to tell you guys that all of us have the potential to see the miraculous happen through our lives. The mindset of miracle, the kingdom mindset. And so um, I want to invite Brad to come up on the stage. He's going to help me with a demonstration this morning as we close. And if you guys um, don't mind, just hop up on your feet while you're looking at Brad, walking up the stage. So was it two years ago that you started working out? Two years ago, Brad started going with Paul to the gym and working out. And um, he started doing push-ups. And the first time you did push-ups, did it go well? No. Do we need to tell the story? We don't, oh, you told me this story. <laughs> so he had to have like a, what was it, like a strap underneath to like get him up and down? So, <laughs> so right now, can you, can, you, can you give me 10 push-ups? Come on, come on. Seven, eight, nine, ten. Here's what I want to say, that it, the potential to do push-ups was always inside of Brad, and it's actually inside of each and every one of us. But that doesn't mean that we're all able to do push-ups. We have to actually go. Thank you so much. You may go. Give him a hand. We have to work at it. There are muscles inside of us that can grow with practice. So when the Word of God says we have to understand, Matthew 13, 19 said, the seed that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message, but they don't understand, which means they don't put it into practice. They don't try it out. It's kind of like if I were to preach to you today about feeding the poor, and you're like, wow. I'm really feeling so stirred up. The stories you were talking about, no food and, and all that stuff, that's so sad. I, I, I really need to do something about this. But then you go, and unless within the next few weeks you actually go help at a soup kitchen or send money to an organization that's helping with the poor, you'll forget all about it and you won't put it into practice. That word will be snatched out of your heart. But guess what you're left with? Head knowledge. The next time you hear a message about giving to the poor, you're like, oh yeah, the rest of the people in here need to know that. I've already learned that. But have you done anything with it? Experience. So it says the kingdom, but you don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in your heart. If we don't understand, but as the Bible means, you know, put it into practice and experience it, we end up like the Pharisees with a form of godliness but no power. And that mindset of just having a bunch of knowledge. And you guys know, there are entire denominations and so many people that would fight you to the death that God does miracles and that, you know, tongues is for today and prophecy is for today. But they've never actually seen it happen. But they understand it here and they believe that's what the Bible says, but they don't see it. So when we're going through this series, I hope you actually put it into practice and start doing some spiritual push-ups because just like push-ups is the potential future for every one of us in this room, the miraculous and a transformed mind is God's will and the potential 
inside of each and every one of us. So we have to say like David in Psalms, Lord, show me your ways. Teach me your paths. We have to become childlike, like Brad talked about last week. Be like, I don't have it all put together. I don't understand all of it, but teach me. Show me, God. What am I supposed to do in this situation? How can I bring heaven to earth right here, right now in my situation? And I felt there, there are two things I want to ask you this morning. One of them is, maybe you're in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a lake, and you don't have Jesus in your boat, and you've never had Jesus in your boat, or it's been a long time since you invited Jesus to be a part of your boat, and you find yourself in a mess, and you just know that you are far from God. But you're here because He loves you, and it's not an accident, and He wants to get in your boat with you, and He wants to become a part of your life. The second thing I want to talk about this morning is that you have had Jesus in your boat, but you haven't recognized the power. You didn't understand the miracle of the loaves. You don't understand the song that we sing with that champion song that we sing, you know, when I open up my mouth and speak, miracles start breaking out. You're not seeing that. And you've never really like dared to practice. Or maybe you practiced a little bit and you're like, that was awful. I hit a sandbar and it looked like an idiot and I don't want to do it again. This is your day to be like, God, I want to humble myself and I'm going to become a student of what it looks like to have a transformed mind and dare to believe you for miracles. So that when you pray, you have as much faith that God is going to show up and act on your behalf as you do when you pray the sinner's prayer. Like how come we so absolutely believe that when somebody says, Jesus, come into my heart, change my life, we know that that's happened. There were generations of Christians before us that had to pave a way for that. So it used to be all through works and it used to be, you know, in the Catholic church and you had to come and pray a certain way, but you could never be sure. Then somebody had the revelation in the word of God, like, hey, I don't think it's meant to work like this. I think it's meant to be, we say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Come into my heart. I repent of my sin. And we become a new creation and part of the family of God. The same thing, we have to pay the way, pave the way in the area of miracles. Because it's not normal right now. People are so afraid to looking like an oddball. And so they're like, instead, when somebody comes forward and they're sick, and instead of praying for them to be healed, knowing that God wants to do that, we're like, well, God gave you this sickness, but I can pray for your eyes of your heart to be opened to understand why he sent it. It's not okay. God is not like that. Jesus didn't walk around and say, I know you came to me for healing, but you know, I'm not going to heal you right now. I'm just going to pray that you learn to understand God's ways better. So as a church, I want us to take that step of starting to operate in and believe God for the miraculous. When the worship team comes up here to sing that song again, I want you to do business with God and ask him to do some surgery on your heart. If there is any of the Herod mindset or of the Pharisee mindset that he yanks it out of our hearts. But before we do that, if you could just close your eyes and bow your heads. And I want to go back to talk to any of you that Jesus is not a part of your life. Maybe like Brad mentioned earlier today, you've been really hurt and you just feel like you have a broken heart. Or maybe in this moment, you're just not sure that God loves you, but he does. 
I just want to tell you God loves you. There's nothing you can do, nothing you can say that could make him love you more than he does in this moment because he's absolutely crazy about you and he wants to get into your boat. He wants to be right in the center of your life. And the Bible says that if we turn from our sin and we ask Jesus to come into our life, come into our heart, he does and he makes us sons and daughters of God. He forgives our sins and he transforms our entire lives. The Bible calls it being born again. Or maybe Jesus used to be in your boat, but you kicked him out a few years ago. You're like, you know what? I can steer this ship better myself. Today is your day to come back, to invite Jesus back in. And so if either of those are true for you in this moment, before we do anything else, I just want you to raise your hand. Nobody else is looking around. But if you need to invite Jesus into your boat and give him control of your life, or maybe you're watching online, God sees you right there too. But wherever you're at, just raise up your hand so I know who we're praying for because I can't pray. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There were several people in this room that raised their hand and if you're watching online, God sees you. While you're in your living room or bedroom or watching on your phone, it's not on accident. And he wants to come into your life, step into your boat and help you get safely to shore. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer and I just want you to pray after me. Church, if we could all pray together, say, Dear Jesus, today I invite you in to my life. Please forgive me of my sin. Become the Lord of my life and a part of every part of me. I give you everything I have. Yeah, I just feel that some of you guys, it's just, you've wanted to let him in, but you've been holding back a part of your heart. So today is that moment when you've given him everything. So Jesus, I thank you for salvation, that I am now a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.